The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dorbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 616 of Palindrome. Uh, this is, of course, IGN's weekly PlayStation show where we talk about PlayStation, we promise, for at least 20% of the time. Uh, before we get to this lovely panel in front of me, I did want to give two shout outs to people not on the show today. Um, because he pulled double duty with me uh, on a one on one episode last week, Max could not make it on this week's show, of course. Uh, however, as you're listening to this episode, it has been Max's birthday. Yes! So, one happy birthday, Max. Uh, I'd like everyone out there listening or watching the show to go to Max's Twitter account, at Max Scoville, and tweet at him, happy birthday, you big, beautiful boy, comma, beyond, you're a wonderful man. That's, that's true. Please send that to him. Uh, also, a shout out, please send another tweet. I'm sorry, I'm giving you a lot of homework for this episode. <laughs> please find at Kind of Funny Kevin on Twitter, uh, Kevin Coelho of Kind of Funny, and say, thank you for the upgraded chairs. Don't say anything else. Just say, thank you for the upgraded chairs. He'll know what that means. Anyway, I'm joined this week by Lucy O'Brien. Hello. And Brian Altano. Rap, rap. Thank you for bringing it back once again. Um, And thank you (laughs) to everyone on last week's show. Uh, Max did a quick call for goodness out in the comments, and a bunch of you turned out in droves. Many of you who don't comment normally on the show on YouTube and everything came out to be like, hey, we love the show. Thank you for recording every week. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who did that. the one show I wasn't on. Goodness in the comments. But we brought you back for this one. Yay. Uh, And it will be a blast. But no, thank you to everyone who did that and who said nice, wonderful things. It really does mean a lot. We do read all the comments and we do appreciate it. So thank you. Um, before we get going, you may be wondering why we're not talking about Death Stranding much on this episode, and it's because we released an off-week cycle episode last week with our general spoiler-free Death Stranding impressions of the first opening chapters of the game. You can go listen to that episode. It was Max, Brian, Mark Medina, and myself. Uh, we talked about the game roughly for 50 minutes, the first three chapters of the game, I believe. Uh, we'll be talking about that game more. Of course, it's the biggest PlayStation release of the fall, but we want you to be able to play it out there as well and talk about you with it. There is a lot of parts to this game, and at the end of the day, us talking at you will be far less interesting than us talking together about this game. So yeah. we will be talking about it again. Fear not, there will be more Death Stranding discussion if you're not sick of us talking about it already. But until then, we have plenty else to talk about. And so I thought with that, we could dive into, if the sound works this week, News Crunch. That is a juicy apple. Goodness. Crunch. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Clements, as always, for that it's apple. Strange symphony of noises every single time. That's what I like to think of the show in general. A yeah, strange, strange symphony sy- yeah. of noises. I'm with um, that. I like that. It's a good title, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the first thing I want to talk about in this week's news crunch, of course, where we break down all the biggest PlayStation news and third-party stuff as well going on in the world of PlayStation, is basically that the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel was kind of confirmed by uh, job listings at Guerrilla Games. Um, the least surprising lake yes. of all time. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of a given that we've all been talking about as if it's an announced game. It has not been officially announced, of course, by Sony uh, or Guerrilla in any way, but a job list- listing specifically for the technical vegetation artist said, uh, this was the description of this new job that said, within Guerrilla, we have four teams dedicated to creating the stunning environments of Horizon. Present tense, we're creating, this is what we're looking for for this job. Obviously, it doesn't say for the next Horizon or for a game set in the world of Horizon, but the implication seems to be that they're staffing up for work on the next 
horizon. But I love that, like, you know, it does seem a little bit like, oh, of all things, vegetation artists. But, like, that is a massive role Especially within, in this that, game. within right. that franchise. Yeah, I we uh, we were talking a little bit, uh, Brian, you and I were talking about this yesterday of that show of the game, and it's, like, post-post-apocalyptic world, like yep. how they decided on that. And we have so many post-apocalyptic games, but one of the things I loved most about this game, and I think a lot of people did, was how gorgeous of a world it is how lush and vibrant and colorful it is yeah that all not only that but it was also an incredibly sort of diverse landscape as well in terms of it almost felt like playing like a kind of open world much more gritty violent super mario world in that (laughs) you would walk 20 feet and you'd be like i'm in the iceland now and now i'm in fire world desert do you know do you know what the landscape reminded me of like not 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 specifically because of, you know, there was a snowy area and there was a grassy area, but, but just it reminded me a lot of New Zealand because um, my country, my country, uh, because, you know, it, my it, country. it is. Uh, I thought that, you were launching into your national anthem. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea. That's how it is. My country. Those my are the country. opening lyrics. <laughs> it's spoken word. Um, but no, like, you know, it is like New Zealand is such a, a, a landscape that changes so quickly. So like it is, you know, you would you will be driving and there will just be snowy mountains and then suddenly there's the ocean and then yeah. suddenly you're in forest and like Horizon Zero Dawn really uh evoked that for me. Yep. And it is it was such a, a beautiful game for that reason. Like and you never felt like you would it was a sort of samey samey environment. It was so yes. stunning yeah. and it, so different. It was very easy to find yourself if you were in one area, quickly finding yourself in a like beautiful desert cavernous area and mm. then moving on to being in a beautiful forest like it which, was very easy to never get which was interesting in death stranding which i promise we, we won't dwell on too often yeah. or too long because all of you will get to play it very soon and then we can all we can all converse um but that game used the same engine and moved in a very different direction in terms of sort of stark minimalism and uh that's that's the kind of game that didn't have a t- technical vegetation director really because <laughs> there's not there, much vegetation no i mean yeah. there really aren't like trees and bushes and like a lot of i mean there's there's some 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 stuff, but nothing really like that. Yeah. Um. I think it's like in the same way, like finding out that Sony was making PlayStation Five, this incredibly obvious thing. It's also just good to know, you know. Yeah. Like it's non-news, but it's totally news. Because, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Gorilla could have easily been like, "We're going back to our roots," or been like, "We're making a like multi open world multiplayer shooter," or like, "There's there's so many." They could have been like, "Hey, we want to take a break and then we'll revisit Horizon." But the idea that they're head down making a new Horizon game, we we assume, yeah, is uh, fantastic. Yeah, it, it's I you know it very well could be, but it's nice to not hear. It's like, what if Aloy wore the Killzone mask and the universe is crossed over for right. an epic battle royale? Um, <laughs> no, it feels like we're probably on track for a major Horizon sequel. It's been a lot of. Uh, Speculation about what could be a PS5 launch game, and I've thought about it as possibly in that realm. The more we talk about it, though, the more I'm inclined, like you have said a lot, Lucy, for it to be a game that will come at least like a year in and a game I want to come a little later in because of how technically proficient the first game was. Um, And we will do a look back about that game definitely on the show. I want to do look backs on a lot of PS4 stuff. But I do want to talk about what we want from this sequel, Uh, knowing very little other than there's a vegetation artist they're looking for on this game. <laughs> uh, Horizon Zero Dawn 2, Horizon 1 Dawn, whatever title they come up with, is a total enigma right now. The most we've seen from Horizon Tech since then, and Brian, as you mentioned, is the Decima engine's use in Death Stranding. Right. Um, and obviously we can't talk about the full extent of that game. But what do the two of you, Lucy, you reviewed Horizon Zero yeah. Dawn? What, what God, did the two a, of a while you, ago now. It was, uh, yeah, February 2017. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we're approaching the three-year anniversary of your review. Um, what do you both want, just generally, from this sequel? Well, uh, I mean, I want I want a couple of things. Uh, well, a few things. I want uh, the. I had, I had not not not. I I don't remember the side quest particularly well <laughs> in that game. Yeah. Um, I would love the side quest to just be a little bit more fleshed out this time around. Uh, I would like them to be just a bit more interesting from what I remember. And I, I've sort of scanned my eyes over my review uh, just before we, we started recording. Um, from what I remember, they were just very samey, like, fetch this, yep. like, go get this from that guy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and for a game that was so inspiring in so many other ways, I would really like uh, SideQuest to just be a bit more um, vital to that game. 
obviously, I would love to see more. For, I mean, this this is a no-brainer. We're going to see more variety of Dinobots yep. um, because that that just – I still remember – I remember the encounters with them yeah. so vividly. Like, I remember just sort of like – like, oh, God, I can't even find the words. Like, uh, sort of, uh, you know, just seeing these, what were they called? The the alligators and the and the oh, yeah. I'm gonna Those were awesome. The um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to remember the name. Just even fighting the giant glint hawk for me. Yeah. Was such a big yeah, yeah. How yeah. scary that thing And was, I remember yeah. sort of just being overwhelmed by, like, three of these things. Mm-hmm. And it was just this, like nail-biting battle yep. uh and and i just i do i have not forgotten that i have not forgotten those encounters i have not forgotten the encounters with my first giant and again i wish i could remember i reviewed the game and the <laughs> dlc i wish i could remember the names of the of the dinos themselves um, uh, i have the list up but i'm scrolling through so i'll get to the alligators in a second yeah but. just the but just the scale of those battles and it wasn't just necessarily the scale of the the enemies Snap themselves <laughs> yeah but it was yes. it was it was the fact that it was the way that the the encounters were sort of orchestrated. Yep. So you'd be constantly ganged up on and just like, oh my god, how am I going to get out of this one? And you know, everything was just it felt so breakneck, and yep. I loved that. I loved the combat in Horizon Zero Dawn so yep. much. Me too. And what I would really love to see, obviously, is just different varieties to mix that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'd love to see some returning, some returning enemies, but like, yeah, more of those. Breakneck encounters with bigger, bigger enemies. And I mean, I think the first time you see a thunder draw in that game, and you're nowhere near leveled enough. Like if you find it around when the game wants you to, you're nowhere near high enough level to fight that. Thing. Yep. And that is just one of those like, oh, I'm gonna come back, but I'm gonna be able to fight that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and just seeing it again, just seeing it like on the horizon. I, well, um, I, you know, it was, it I had a lot of uh, situations like that too. Yeah, like just the hair on the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, where you definitely approach something that you're not ready for yet, but you still try to take it on, and that's like one of my favorite things to do in a video game. And then sometimes get lucky and like chip away at it from afar with a bunch of you know, projectiles and stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember being like, there was this one, it looked very like Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. It was like a desert canyon area in that game. And there was this like pit with a bunch of very giant Ankylosaurus looking beasts. And I was just up on a ridge just trying to attack them from afar. And I slowly chipped away at them over the course of like an hour and like would run down, stab them, run back <laughs> up and like yeah. heal. And I finally killed him. And I remember being like, I wasn't supposed to do that yet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then you go grab all the cool stuff they dropped. Um, yeah, that's more and more giant big beasts. I'm, yeah, I, I'm totally I would into love that. something. I think they captured it so well with the tall necks of a. Uh, well, I can't think of the word I want, but something that isn't confrontational with you. Yep. Like having some of the more than one main dinosaur robot type that just is living in the world. Like I like the idea of showing more of these robots that yep. just exist. No, I, I dressed as a uh, Dr. Alan Grant for Dra- for Halloween and it gave me for Jurassic Park day. No. And it gave me an, <laughs> an excuse to watch Jurassic Park the night before, which I don't need an excuse for because it's a no, pretty perfect still film. Amazing. Um, but there's an amazing thing that happens to that movie. First of all, there's like an hour straight of that movie that is just like utter breakneck insanity, which I love. But there's a calm where Alan Grant and the two kids are sort of like nestled in a tree and they're like feeding and hanging out with the brontosaurus. Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus, yeah. yeah. And I think that like that beauty between that and the moments where they're trying to tear you apart and just show like how large, how well this world scales and how it's not just all out to kill you is well, really cool. I think Spielberg himself, um, and I may get this quote slightly wrong, but um, I think he said that the line was between terror and wonder. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's what Jurassic Park did so well, and that is what Horizon Zero Dawn did yeah. so well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I honestly, I dare anyone who did not love dinosaurs as a child <laughs> to dislike that game because it was for me. Like you know, I, I loved Dino Crisis when I was when I was growing up, but like for me. That's the best dinosaur game that I've ever played. It didn't even have dinosaurs yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but it did. You know, it was just that it, it, it was that sense of wonder it tapped into so beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I think enemy of variety is going to definitely be a big thing. Like, I want a lot of these creatures to return, especially just seeing them. And I haven't played this game in over a year, but just seeing all the designs and how intricate and interesting they all were. I There's got to be more, but I do hope we see like a, a solid group of these return, if not all. I would also really like. Um, more weaponry um, and more weaponry that is actually vital to your sort of, you know, your arsenal. Yeah. I found that I didn't, 
use a lot of the weaponry that I was given in the first game in like the latter half. I was yeah. just like, I just had my tried and tested like three things that I would yes. use. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I feel like uh, more weaponry with slightly different design on the. Um, what are we calling them? Dinosaurs. I keep wanting to call them dinosaurs. What are dinobots? I would just call them dinobots. Yeah. Oh, on the on the dinobots themselves. Uh, so you know, there's a really nice sort of concert between your arsenal and how to def- how to take down those those enemies. Yep. Um, I would like to see more of that. Yeah, that's always like an interesting scenario in RPG inspired or infused games where uh, you do get better weapons, but you fall into sort of this like comfort zone with like certain ones that you know are slightly weaker, but they're quicker or they look cooler. Um, that's always a tough push and pull. So I hope they can find a balance there. The two big things I want are uh, essentially on two different planes between the player. One is the ground level. Um, there was something really cool about that game had a, a lot of like normal ass woodland creatures running around it <laughs> that you would like kill and farm and use to create better weapons and, and items and stuff. It had like this very subtle, almost like far cry element to it. And I want more stuff like that. I remember specifically spending like two hours in a field, just beating up a bunch of foxes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well this is, it's odd that there's like, they added wildlife to this game, but there's really only like two or three species that aren't robots that are just like regular animals. Yeah. I'm not really sure how that works with the lore. I'm sure someone <laughs> smarter than me does. Um, so I want more stuff like that. And two, I want more vehicles that you can uh, use in the sky, such as pterodactyls. But halfway through that game, you got a horse. It's like a robot horse. And it didn't really have a head. Well, and weird. You, you were able to jack into the broadbacks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And be able to ride them yep. as mounts. But yeah. You were able to jack into a, a, a lot of them, actually. I would, And I would, again, love to see that in the sequel uh you know, properly like blowing that up to an even greater degree. So you've got massive dinosaurs going up against each other. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're riding one of them and you're riding one yep. of them. Like this is all the stuff that I didn't want to see in Jurassic Park sequels, but I really want to see in a horizons. In a video game, it's all better yeah. off. Yeah. 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 Well, and just the idea of you being part of that battle or being a small fraction of that, That's yeah. right, seeing yeah. this happen play out around you. And you're like, I'm focusing on this one dino but all of this is happening around me. I, I like the idea of taking, like basically jacking into one of those long necks and riding the top of it all the way up to like, there's a ridge and there's a pterodactyl nest and you jump on one of their backs, jack into it and you're just flying around all over the game. And yeah. it's that game's answer to helicopters. Yeah. And every game needs an answer to helicopters. That's very true. God of war. Corey, get on that. <laughs> um, I did want to ask human wise, because they were a f- factions that you could fight were human enemies. Um, I never, fairly pedestrian. Yeah, I never found it as interesting. Do you think those should return? Do you think they're just going to be a byproduct of, like, you need some enemy variety? I think that, like, I, I don't mind if they return, but again, I think it should be very much woven within more interesting side quests. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't really like the idea of just having enemy camps that you have to just infiltrate and, you know, clear out, because that's so samey-samey. We've seen that over and over again in a yeah. variety of video games. And, and, of course, when you've got giant dinosaurs roaming around, that's the least interesting thing you're going to want to do. Yeah. So if you're going to fight human enemies, I want there to be stakes. Yep. What or, about oh, Or more, more systems involved uh, to make that more interesting. Yeah. Again, shout out to Far Cry, but that's a thing that I really like those games do in terms of their like bases and structures and camps is like heading in somewhere and being like, okay, do I want to take this entire thing stealth? Do I want to open up these cages that are full of beasts and all of a sudden like people are getting attacked by bees and like lions <laughs> and I'm yeah. lighting them on fire and I'm just like this like Macaulay Culkin, Kevin Home Alone nuisance man up <laughs> in the like, hill just yeah. being like, what? Oh, yeah. I, I, the yeah, yeah, I yeah. did that so I much that. in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> in Assassin's Creed Odyssey too, there would just be like lions in cages and it'd be like from a mile away, just have Cassandra shoot a bullet or yeah. an arrow and it's like, just let them yeah. feast. Uh, what do you both want out of story-wise from this game. Uh, full transparency, I've not finished Horizon Zero Dawn, so I don't know the story ending setup for what it could be for a sequel. I do want to keep it vague enough for people who might not have jumped in. Um, but what do you want to see from the story at large? Is there anything particular you're hoping to see? I, I have a follow-up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get crap for this, but the story in Horizon was like one of my least favorite parts. Um, and that's because the other parts were so good that it overshadowed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never really totally in love with the story in that game. I, I think that like the setting is super interesting, and the characters are like pretty cool, some of them at least, and get less and less cool the less surface level you are. Um, but overall, like I just want a story about a like, character who's trying to survive and collect cool stuff and get better. 
That's it. Yeah, like I, I, I mean, I liked the story more than you did. I really liked its central mystery because it was a mystery, mm-hmm. um, and I liked the resolution of that mystery. Uh, I think Aloy herself had a really great arc in that game. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not if she doesn't return as the protagonist in the second game, I won't be completely distraught because I think her storyline was wrapped up really nicely. Yep. That was um, what I was going to ask if we think. Yeah. Aloy like, I, I mean, I could yeah. easily see another protagonist fill her shoes. Yeah. Um, but if she does return, that's also great. Cause I think she's a great character. I love um, Ashley Birch who voices her. I think yeah. she does a great yeah. job. Um, she's a really, really uh, fantastic protagonist. Um, but yeah, I could easily see someone else stepping in. I think she's become too iconic, not yeah. just to Horizon, but to PlayStation in general this generation, to not be a major part of the game. She, yeah, yeah. But it, it would be fascinating to see if they tried a different character, whether it was like a more player-influenced character and actually had a bit more RPG elements to that aspect, or if it was a like preset-determined character with a story, but Aloy played a significant role in that story. Aloy definitely, as you say, has to, has to be in yes, there. Yes, yeah. um, the villain. I, you know, <laughs> I'm totally with you guys, but I think they could essentially attempt a sort of lost legacy approach mm-hmm. where it's like you do have this iconic character in Nathan Drake, right? And he's in all the marketing and everything. Aloy became one of their sort of top tier. I hate to call her a mascot cause she's a human woman, but <laughs> mascots essentially, right? In the same way, Nathan Drake, a human man and Kratos, a God and, a, and the onion cat and a bunch of other, <laughs> weird, the top four, the top four. <laughs> I'll always call him onion the cat, onion by the cat. way. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that since the old beyond days. Um, the, uh, the idea of like her being front and center in this game is something I understand because there's an appeal to that and it's marketable and people have brand recognition and they recognize that character. But I feel like her story was pretty perfectly kind of buttoned up and I would love to see maybe letting us select from multiple characters or maybe letting us have two main characters, you know, like I just younger characters, older characters, whatever. I, I would love to see more people interface with that world um, I don't think it's necessarily. I think the world of Horizon is bigger than than Aloy's story. Yeah, I am um, having not finished it, but I remember. Spe- I I got at least seventy five percent of the way through the game. It's been a, a decent amount of time collecting side stuff, and there's so much. It's one of those games where so much of the lore and the interesting bits of the world are buried to the side because they want to put the attention on Aloy, and that makes sense. Um, but you get that disconnect sometimes where it's like, should I be caring about what I'm going for right now? Should I be caring about Aloy, o- Aloy only? And mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how they blend that stuff. I've been really itching to replay this game. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of going back. So. Well, just yeah. actually talking about it just now has made me want to replay it. Yeah, well, yeah. it was a back-to-back combination of this and then playing Death Stranding, which obviously runs in the same engine. Um, and I don't know if we talked about it in the show, but like 70 people from Gorilla worked on Death Stranding. They basically lent out people from that studio for a year, which I is really really see like I can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like when yeah. you're playing Death Stranding, you can feel that. Yep. It's it's really fascinating to me because I wonder how many of them will come back and be like, oh, that worked over here or we implemented that there. Like, let's try that here. Uh, I wonder what sort of synergy we'll see between ideas and 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 studios in, in that in that wave without it just being the similarity of being on the same engine. Yeah. You know? um, and Brian, you had brought this up when we were talking yesterday about this topic. I am excited to see Horizon hopefully be able to stand on its own and not have a release cycle that is somehow chained to The Legend of Zelda yeah. <laughs> because both the release of Horizon and its DLC releases pretty much went up against Breath of the Wild. Oh, Horizon so 2 is coming out two weeks before Breath of the Wild 2. And don't get me no, wrong. That's that was so, so unfortunate. And I felt yeah. terrible because... You know, I'd had the edge insofar as I was reviewing the game, so I'd had it early and I was able to appreciate it completely as it was and then go on to Breath of the Wild. But so many people were like, oh, I started Horizon and then Breath of the Wild came along, so I never picked it up again. And it's like, oh, you're really missing out because they are very different games. Like, they're both open world games where you use a bow and arrow, sure. But, like, aside from that... There's a lot of differences. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to what we want to see in the game, uh, I also reached out to the Podcast Beyond Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Podcast Beyond. Uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in for this uh, and asked basically what they would like to see from this unconfirmed, but probably going to happen, sequel. Uh, and so first up, I wanted to read from Gareth. Gareth said, some element of town or city building using the resources that you gather to unlock upgrades and new items. Um, and whether, I, I don't know if they'd let you build full cities. It probably depends on your character's status in that world. But I could easily see you building some shops or some elements. Um, again, we have no idea what was shared, but you do see some building, crafting elements being a key role in Death Stranding, even in the earliest hours. A little bit, yeah. I 
mean, it, it's mostly, it's not necessarily like you're not really building towns or cities, but you are building roads and bridges and stuff yeah. like that. There's like sort of mild architecture involved. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, of a like a recent open world game that sort of had a meta game of, of building out towns and cities. I know Breath of the Wild had a little bit of it with yeah. that. Um, Your little village. Tarrytown. Like, you also, you can, you can make, <laughs> yeah, Fallout for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, in Breath of the Wild, you could also make a house for Link, yeah. which was completely optional. Um, Nino Kuni 2 had sort of a, basically like a kingdom builder system where you it went to a top-down isometric view of your kingdom and as you acquired more people who would want to live in your town and more items you could build up each building and then you would have different resources you could use it for side quests and all these things that was probably the closest i've seen and i fell in love with that system so i'd happily see something like that in here but yeah me too it's definitely a, a much bigger <laughs> like addition than some other stuff let's start with like a house for the main character yeah yeah, yeah just a, I, I like- you can decorate and it's only got one room yeah the, the assassin's creed 2 villa is one of my favorite things in a game that just doesn't get used enough that was they, so fun to freaking burn it down on the next game yes. yeah. oh let me, let me add one more yes. thing I, there was a really awesome sort of meta game in the in the in the late game of horizon which involved getting this like incredible one-of-a-kind power armor by yeah. collecting specific oh, frag- fragments and cells from all over the world and building it was like really fun totally optional um completely kicked ass once you got it i i want more stuff like that yeah yeah so quests that give you something to attain like that especially some of the stuff in god of war yep. i could see some parallels there uh rodrigo said very similar to you brian possibility to fly on glint hawks and yeah i think mm. some sort of flying some people suggested more water type creatures and i think that could be really interesting too Ooh. uh but i would love flying don't get me wrong that has to be totally right like it's very easy to get flying wrong in a game mm-hmm. so i want to see larger water creatures yeah like yeah. big like a whale. Scary. Like you just see it jump out of the water and then splash right down there. It's like, what yep. the hell was yeah. that? And then it has human legs and it runs onto the land. <laughs> and it <laughs> just and goes, <laughs> uh, And then it cuts to its perspective and it's like, I need your help. And you're to- just killing it. Total tangent. But have either of you played the, sorry for bringing this up, the Bloodborne DLC? No. Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, where, where they, the fish, the fisherman's town yeah. with all the the awful wet mermen. God, that is such a that is such a terrifying use of fish. Just from the description, <laughs> it's so, it's one of my that's one of my favorite slash least favorite places in video games. Ooh, I just think about it and I just feel ooh. like my my socks are damp and yeah, I'm just like, Ugh. yeah, there's just no, people like thrown up. A sort of re- very realistic like merman, yes. like they they nailed that in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's very, that's so ultimately great, yeah. just really disgusting yes. and disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Realistic Merman. You heard it here first, really. Uh, Ty said, I'd like to see a less restrictive traversal system. Horizon Zero Dawn Dawn, had such a beautiful and varied world that begged to be explored, but limited the player to only being able to climb very specifically yellow areas. Uh, Seeing how Death Stranding uses a similar engine framework, I think it'd be a good guess that Horizon Zero Dawn sequel will open up the world and give us some more options to get from point A to point B. And while I don't think we'll be managing Aloy's inventory like that or in her balance... I absolutely agree. I, think. I, I and I think that's very realistic. Yes, like as yeah. a as a projection, like I think that that is absolutely what the sequel will do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is, there's a like balance to not going the full Assassin's Creed parkour, but there's also stuff like Breath of the Wild that did let you scale everything. And I think that was one of the biggest points that people would compare the two. It's like I can climb anywhere in Breath of the Wild. She can't climb over this small rock. Yeah, and, and be- the thing is about uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is that you could sort of like jank your way up a lot of stuff, and it <laughs> yeah. was you 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 knew the whole time yeah. that you shouldn't be doing that, but it kind of worked. But Max describes to. it as like skyrimming up a mountain. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, that's that was always a very weird because I was like, I know I can get back up there by doing this, but that doesn't feel right. But I'm yeah, like you it. you know that the the designers did not want you to jump on yeah. that ledge, but like you've figured out a way to do it anyway. Yeah, where yeah. one of her knees is up by her head and yeah. it's just like shaking and you're like, that's not right, but it's working. But she got up to the next ledge, so I'll take it. Um, a few people did say, Jack said, I would like a character class system that allows you to focus on different forms of combat. Uh, and Shane said, taking it a step further, let me create my own character. I get playing as Aloy was for narrative structure, but I like to project myself into characters and it's easier to do with the character I've made. I like that a lot. I mean, if that's what, that's essentially what Watch Dogs is, is doing, right? Like they yeah. were like, we made two games in a row based on these specific characters the first one was terrible and the second one was good and in the third one you can be any number of these people mm-hmm. um i i totally i totally dig that i understand why a lot of studios don't do that because they want a very deliberate story centered around 
conflicts and a specific character. But uh, on the flip side, it's a lot more fun to just make your own character and go nuts. Yeah, I, I think it'll really depend on what their narrative ambitions are for yeah. this game. If they have a very specific story they have in mind to tell. And if they are letting us choose their own characters, then <clears throat> side characters need to be uh, stronger. Yes. Not absolutely. that I thought that they were particularly weak in the original, but again, not super duper memorable. So yeah, yeah just yeah. want to make sure that if we're going to... Yeah, if we pull the focus away from creating a like memorable main character, I really yeah. think the ensemble needs totally. to be there. Because Aloy yeah. carried a lot of... The charisma of, yes, that, yeah. um, of that story. I, I think one of the biggest problems for me on the charisma note was the fact that conversations were just always cut back and forth and it was just people standing still talking until it was their time to stop and then you would talk as well. And <laughs> like a just... terrible, terrible day. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, hopefully not every conversation is like that in Horizon 2. Uh, finally, Sarah Beth said weapons, mounts. I'm combining a few of her comments. Uh, I t- Too long didn't read. I want to rip apart this, these robot monsters and use their parts for more things. And I do think an expanded crafting system and whether that is weapons, building your own mounts or... Building your own Frankenstein monsters. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, is, that is veering into like Jurassic Park sequel canceled territory, like the weird dinosaurs with human arms or whatever. <laughs> Have you seen those drawings? What? You never saw that? Not the human arms. It was I like do a feel canceled... like that's the next, like that's the next logical step for the Jurassic Park series. Oh, of point. course, for yeah. sure. No, they, um, we they, spliced they were... the Velociraptor with a man. He's got human legs and he comes out of the sea. <laughs> no, uh... It's just Newman. It's Newman with a <laughs> spiky tongue. Uh, by the way, in, in Jurassic Park, they're like, they offered Newman $1.5 million to get 15 species off the island. That's not a lot of money. That is not, not a lot that. of money no. for that job. Yeah. There were like mid-tier baseball players that make like 14 times that. And like what? We're talking 1994? That's not even that long ago. No. Like that should have been way more money. Yeah. That's we're a- not like talking the 1920s when it's like, oh, that would be great. <laughs> oh, I've got to oh, I'm a millionaire now. That's like the dinosaur auction in Fallen Kingdom where this guy's like, uh, Ankylosaurus outfitted with lasers. I'll give you uh, $200,000. And everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Big spender. That, yeah. little, little Three mallet. Teslas. We, that, that movie's been talked about a lot in this office. But yeah, the monetary value of the dinosaurs in Fallen Kingdom. I actually like some parts of it more than you guys do. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's great. But yeah, the money in there. How is that all they'll get, no, they go for? It makes no sense at all. Okay, anyway, anyway sorry, if there's a, an estate sale in Horizon Zero Dawn yeah. 2, I hope. Making your own dinosaurs works. will be fun. I love yeah. how my chair just shrunk. <laughs> they don't move around now. They just shrink. <laughs> um, but yes, I agree. There definitely should be some sort of enhanced creation system in there, some sort of crafting. Uh, obviously, we have no idea when the Horizon sequel is going to come, when it will even be announced, but we will probably be talking about it a lot more in the future. Um, so stay tuned for all of that. But thank you to everyone who wrote in. On that topic, a couple other pieces of news I did want to mention. A uh, small one we didn't cover in IGN as a news story, but uh, Gio Corsi announced earlier this week that he is leaving PlayStation. Uh, he's been a big part of that company for a long time, even if you don't publicly maybe know him as well. Uh, he is very present on Twitter, but he's not always the person who's on stage to talk. He was, though, very much a big believer in the Vita, uh, and he really was behind pushing that in an evangelist for the Vita, um, which, you know, for the system that could and tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very much always appreciate that as someone who really liked their video as well. Um, but he announced he was leaving PlayStation earlier this week, has not said what he's moving on to. But um, I just want to also say thank you, Gio, for everything you did at that company. I know you were a big part of a lot of major stuff there. Uh, yeah, I, I just saw Gio at New York Comic Con. He's a, he's a great dude. And like you said, it's it was, it was really cool to have somebody on the inside publicly championing for the Vita when, you know, the chips were down. It looked like no one cared about the thing and it was being sent off to die. Um, and to have somebody being like, oh, we're bringing this game, we're bringing this game, we're bringing this game was was really nice. Yeah. Also, he's like a he's like a, a bald Italian guy with like <laughs> cool shoes. So we're we're forever friends. Mm-hmm. He was a good guy. If you want to be on an episode of Podcast Beyond and just sit across from Brian. Yeah, it's really easy. Things. You just yeah. have to be like, I don't know. What do you think? I love Horizon. I'm going to go home and play it again. There you go. It works. Super um, easy job. But yeah, don't, wanted to mention that for those who may not have heard that. Uh, another thing I do want to mention, not about Death Stranding per se, but Kojima Productions probably is planning to make movies in the future. Um, speaking during a BBC Newsbeat documentary, 
uh, Hideo Kojima was talking, and an ad just popped up on our page. And he said, quote, in the future, Kojima Productions will start making films. If you can do one thing well, then you can do everything well. Huh. News to me. I mean, but I, I do think film makes sense. <laughs> I think that this is like such an end game for him. Um, I don't think, you know, I think it's cruel to level at him that he's a frustrated filmmaker. I think that he makes amazing games, uh, but he has clearly all his life been so much more drawn to film. Yeah. Um, the one time I interviewed him, we had a half hour conversation that just revolved around movies. It was just <laughs> yeah. like he he just, he is so... You know, you look at his Twitter feed and so much of it is just these are the movies I'm really like like stoked about this yep. month. These are the movies I want to talk about. These are like I, these are the actors, these are the filmmakers, these are the people that I want to surround myself with. He clearly has always wanted to get into film uh and just was a was a game maker instead. Um I you know, I don't know what a film from Hideo Kojima would look like. Uh, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people being like, oh, I'd love to have a Metal Gear. You know, obviously that's not what he's going to make. You know, <laughs> Death Stranding is a very unique proposition from him. I'm sure whatever he makes uh, in the film space will be completely different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, I, I see a lot of people rolling their eyes about it, but it's like this was always going to happen. Yeah. This was always going to happen from day dot. As soon as Hideo Kojima came onto the scene, he was always going to end up making a film. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because if you look at the history of filmmakers veering into video games, um, it's a, kind of a lot trickier to make that transition. I remember Guillermo del Toro specifically, uh, who Max and I got to interview at Comic-Con before for uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's like one of my favorite people we interviewed because like 30 minutes before we went on, we talked to him about reptiles in Florida and like he's just like a huge fan of like dangerous animals and pets and we just talked to him for like 30 minutes about that and it's like that's a weird man that was a good time um he talked about how much of a pain in the ass it was to work on PT and Silent Hills and how frustrating it was to like to make video games like that's a very hard thing to do there's a million moving parts you know like there's there's all these things that have to perfectly align and then you have to figure out how to sell it as a $60 consumer product um, movies are a lot different in that way. And I think Kojima has been directing famous people and working with, you know, cinematographers and, and, and camera operators for a long time now that making that transition would be a lot easier for him than I think it would take somebody like Martin Scorsese, who doesn't like a lot of the things we like. But if he wanted to try yeah, it. Coming in and then like directing the next Assassin's Creed game, right? Yeah. Um, the next logical step for Scorsese. Oh, for yeah, sure. I think yeah. that's definitely up there for him. He's it, really, yeah, he's he's actually going to work on uh, Iron Man VR too. He's, he just loves those stories and those characters. They're theme park And rides, the conflict. And he wants to make one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're right. He's been so, Kojima's been so kind of embroiled in um, the Hollywood scene for such a long time. And you do really get the feeling that if he just says jump, you know, he's got a lot of people around him that'll say how high. Yeah, the interesting thing is he, you know, he worked with Nicholas uh, Winning Refn, who was in Death Stranding as a sort of by likeness, but not by voice. Mm. There's a lot of that weird. I don't really know if that was like a union thing or however, <laughs> however that that kind of goose stepping happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, Nicholas Winning Refn has been making movies for decades or for ages now, and he just launched uh, recently an, an Amazon Prime show, which was him being like. I want to make something that's longer than a film. And he had carte blanche to make like a 10 hour or 10 episode show. And each episode is wildly different lengths from, from the other ones. And I think that Kojima is more suited to a medium like that. Like everyone sitting here, like in the comments have been like, I already made a movie. It's called the metal gear. It's, it's called death stranding. Cause that has cutscenes. You're not wrong. Um, but I don't, I don't think that taking this man's work and shoving it in a two and a half hour block is going to work. I think that this is the, this is the kind of dude that you let him, you let him swim around with like a 10 to 12 hour televised. I was going to say even like a six to eight hour yeah. Netflix or Amazon miniseries. Yeah, but, totally. e- but even with that said, it'll be very interesting to see how his uh, narrative sensibilities translate to a, a series or, or a film. I think that we excuse, across the board, this is not just with Kojima, I think we excuse a lot of uh, clunky storytelling or cheesy storytelling, cheesy dialogue, like on-the-nose thematic 
stuff um, because it's a video game and like video games are inherently uh, a sort of cheesy medium. <laughs> um, and, I, I, you know, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're profound and delightful, but like working on a blockbuster scale, uh, nuance is often just the last thing that people care about. Right. Um, and it'd Ex- be- Exposition ends up being a pretty, a pretty valuable crutch to a lot of storytelling and video games. massively so it's it's also to the fact that I, th- I think a lot of video game storytelling inherently takes a backseat to the front and center of actually controlling in the moment to moment of playing it that's right it's a it's a it's a rapper yeah more often than not a, yeah. a, a story rapper and so yeah i think that it would be fascinating to see what a kojima movie or uh tv series would look like without having to focus on gameplay at, in any way yeah. and it just being these characters with his, you know, his idiosyncratic characters with his very unique style of dialogue and whether people would embrace that or whether people would just be like, this is terrible. Yeah. yeah. It, he, would, uh, he, would need, he would need some people like some MCU level uh, sort of like filtration systems in place to be like, <laughs> hey, don't show the end of your movie in the trailer. Like... <laughs> If you look, if you look at the teasers for, uh, if you look at the teasers for like the Star Wars movies, for the MCU movies, they are like in, inherently misleading. They they will not show you more than like the first third of the film, and you'll be they're they're chopped in a way that we're sitting there for three four months, being like, what does this mean? Mm. Like more of that and less of like here's the whole thing. Because uh, honestly, with Death Stranding, a, a lot of it, I feel like too much of it was shown early on. And um, I mean, you'll you'll be the judge of that when, once you play it this week. Uh, but I, I would want I want I want some mystery there. You know, I think that's like my like I, I actually stopped looking away from most marketing material, even for things they totally love. Now, a new teaser for The Mandalorian dropped this morning. I'm all in on that show. I don't need to look at any more yeah. teaser trailers. Trailers in general on the Internet are so damn awful nowadays that they will show you a 15 second version of that trailer before the trailer starts and they're like bad boys for life coming right up and then they show you the, ha, pa, yeah and then it's like pa, 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 and then the trailer starts and you're yeah. like i didn't need all that yeah but pretend that i have like i, I don't know a, a self-esteem and <laughs> and patience and like the ability to wait for but something. do you know why like, they do include those because we have no patience well yeah statistically they get people hooked on watching yeah video, but it's just like Wow. Yeah. I I hate them, but yeah, it's it would be fascinating too because the marketing schemes of TV and movie are also played out very differently yep. from games. Yep. Um and you also are working with a lot less to show in a 6-hour show versus a 40-hour game. Well, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I mean you you generally don't watch marketing material for movies 3 years in advance. Also, the second a movie gets announced, uh, in a line of text, there's usually it's usually accompanied with a release date. Yeah, movies also just get announced way longer before. Yeah, like even if the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel is two years away, we won't probably hear about it for at least another year. Mm-hmm. But we know Marvel movies coming out in three, four years. Yeah. So total yeah, side note, but a- did you guys see the thing going around of the uh, Death Stranding title reveal that happened like two or three years ago? No, no. that says Death Stranding, obviously, and uh, there are the the ink. Lines are intersecting. There are eight lines, and they're intersecting with eleven different letters. Eleven eight, November eighth, release date for Death Stranding. Huh. And people were like, "It was right there the whole time." Oh Maybe that's God. crazy conspiracy. I find it, that it's Kojima, so I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. Quickly, I find that interesting. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Uh, quickly moving on from that, two things related to one franchise. First. Uh, of course, it happened the day after we recorded last week's normal episode. The PlayStation Plus free games for November are Outlast 2. You missed it by like three days, guys. October was last month. And Neo. Right, Lucy? I actually like am confused at this <laughs> point as to what you're, which one you're saying. Well, to confuse you further, on the PlayStation blog late last week, Neo 2 was also confirmed for a March 13th, 2020 release date for the PS4. Uh, Meanwhile, the open beta, I believe, is happening right now. It was previously announced, but it is happening from November 1st to November 10th. Um, Meanwhile, if you have PS Plus, you can try out the original Neo for free starting two days ago. So, uh, obviously, the Neo franchise, Neo 2, was announced during that weird 
PS4, the PlayStation press conference at E3 a couple years back, the final press conference before they skipped this year, um, 2018. So it, it's kind of flown under the radar, but we gave that game a hugely high score, I think somewhere in the high nines. Yep. Um, a lot of people love that game. I love that game. As a as like a Souls alternative. Um, I haven't really heard that much about Neo 2, but I'm excited to dump, jump into the beta and see how it is. I just also want to give a shout out to Outlast 2, um, which I also reviewed back in the day, um, because it is a very, 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 very scary little slice of horror. And uh, it's got an ending that divide, tends to divide people. Uh, I really loved it. If you play it this month, please tweet at me, uh, letting me know your thoughts on it, because it is, uh, it's something. You'll see what I mean when you reach the end. <laughs> I and Lucy, how do you feel about Neo? I, look, Neo... <laughs> I'm not a look. I'm not a little, <laughs> little performing monkey with my strange accent. <laughs> Neo, Neo, Near, Neo, Near, Neo, Near, Neo, Near, Neo, Near are both great games. I'm very happy that either of them may be receiving a sequel because I'm still not sure which one you're referring to. What about Actually, what no, about no, Nino Cooney? <laughs> No, Neo no Kuni. Again, I, I, you know, as I said, didn't, didn't, didn't grab me in the first place, but uh, I'm very pleased that it's receiving. Oh, just don't make me do anyway, this. Anyway, moving on. BlizzCon ah. happened late last week. <laughs> uh, we oh, should announce uh, two highly anticipated sequels are announced Overwatch or. Not, maybe not highly anticipated, highly leaked, unfortunately, for some of the team working on them. Overwatch 2, um, which had been unfortunately leaked a, a few days before, and Diablo 4, which has sort of been unspe- un announced but expected thing for a long time. Kotaku had a report about both of those games way earlier this year, so those sequels are not too surprising. Of course, they were announced during the BlizzCon opening ceremony, which was also um, concurrent with protests that were happening at BlizzCon. It was a very um, strange show to have out there at the moment where Blizzard is being discussed at a national political level. Yeah, um, it, and it, was, it, was, it, it was a little uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I felt a little bit I don't know how you felt, Jonathan, but like I felt a little bit weird about sort of needing to be invested in it yeah. because I obviously I find that I the whole um, Hong Kong fiasco, the Blizzard fiasco, uh, I find it quite very appalling, yeah. and you know, sort of feeling quite strongly about that, and then flip flopping into being hyped Diablo for Blizzard, Blizzard products yeah. um, made me yeah. feel a little dirty. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm pleased that that, that the protests happened. Uh, Matt Kim, our reporter, covered that on the site. So please read up uh, yeah, on his write-up. Yeah, please read his coverage. Because it's it's really good. Um, I'm really pleased he was on the ground there. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a tough one. You don't you don't, you don't want to punish the people who have been head down working on yeah. these awesome things for so long. But at the same time, like, how are you as a consumer supposed to send a message that you disapprove with something other than like voting with your wallet or, or not. I mean, you literally can't vote with your wallet on these games right now. They don't even have release dates and <laughs> probably won't for years. But at the same time, um, the, the timing of this entire convention was either the best thing for them or the worst thing for them. Mm. Um, I think that they got out and they gave what I uh, perceived to be a pretty half-assed apology that didn't really mention a lot of things by name. Um, and probably essentially tried to brush everything under the rug and and move on and get back to the games that everyone loves. Um, and I understand a lot of people's sort of apprehension with dragging politics into video games, or this is ultimately an escapist medium where people get away from a lot of the you know ills of the of the real world, and it is a nightmare out there. Uh, and so it's it's not an easy one to talk about because it is no there's no cut and dry way to just sort of be like burn it to the ground or uh, let bygones be, be gone. Be, 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 however you say that. Bygones be bygones. bygones um, because I think there's a, wow, I botched that. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of victims on, 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 yeah, yeah. on the sidelines of that one, you know, and yeah. It's, yeah, like it's, a, ultimately it, they didn't really renege on the punishments that they let out for the, the people they've already punished for this. So, yeah. yeah. And that's it. You know, I, I know so many wonderful people who work at Blizzard and it's, it feels awful that, that they have been, wrapped up in this and this, this is obviously coming from a very top down level. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is, as you say, Altano, there is no kind of, there are no winners really. Um, no, I mean, this, it's, it's a scenario. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's totally the audience is right to distrust a company based on 
the actions of a few or that some a mandate happening from a top level. I mean, there are there are people that are still like, oh, I don't I don't like IGN reviews because of the like the plagiary incident that happened a year ago, and it's like there's nothing we can do aside from keeping the best that we can be yeah. and set that course straight. But uh, we don't, you know, sort of have a company mandate to plagiarize reviews. So we dodge that what, bullet. We don't. We don't. Oh. I'm sorry. Hair backtracked a couple weeks ago. He yeah. Like, stop it. Exactly. Um, but we no, were just hurt. stealing from each other. So it was bad. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, this is obviously like, I, I want to hear from the audience on this one. I want to know like, what is, what is your course of action in a situation like this? I do know that, Immediately pivoting from, you know, anger and apprehension towards cheering for upcoming product releases felt weird. Yeah. But at the same time, like there there has to be a way to sort of keep those stories coming and reward the work of the people who have been working for years before this became such a big thing. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I do think it's on us to keep covering both aspects. Yes. Of it. There yeah, are these people who are hard at work on these games that matter to them and matter to a large community. And there are major issues on a socio-political scale that deserve also coverage. Yep. Yep. And I think we will continue to cover those here on IGN um, as we continue to cover the rest of what is happening in what I'm expecting to be a nonstop 14 months or so of games because 2020 is going to be crazy. Yep. Uh, but before we get to 2020, I thought if you both will humor me, we can start to take a look back at the years that were of the PS4. Ooh. I don't have a jingle yet. I was waiting for one. Ronnie, if you're out I there, actually please like make a jingle. I actually looked towards the camera waiting for the jingle to play. But nonetheless, <laughs> even though we don't have a jingle, I do want to start taking a look back at the PS4, its life, uh, the exclusives, the ups and downs of the choices Sony made, the lineup, the games, everything, um, and take a look back as we get to the PS5 to see sort of where the state of PlayStation is right now. Um, and so the first thing I thought we could jump all the way back, and I actually asked listeners and viewers for some feedback on this weeks ago. So for those who wrote in, thank you. We'll be reading some of those today. Um, I thought we could look a little bit at the launch lineup of the PS4. Um, and unfortunately, my link to the launch lineup did not carry over, so I'm going to go find that quickly. But I figured I'd start off asking both of you, did you get a PS4 at launch? Yes. You did? Yes. I did not. I okay. got an Xbox One. You, so, Brian, were you getting one, I presume, in like the big... IGN, everyone buying a console. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, for, contrary to popular belief, we don't get free consoles here at IGN. Our employees uh, purchase their own. I mean, it's ultimately a tax write-off, so there's that. And Uncle Sam comes knocking and takes all of your money here in America. Um, but the uh, the IGN editorial pit at the time and the video team, I think, ordered something like 23 or 24 PlayStation 4s in unison. Oh. Uh, it was the kind of thing where we're all sitting around the second they went out for pre-orders. We're all like on our laptops, hunched over. I bought one, I bought one. <laughs> and I remember the UPS truck that came from Amazon the day that the PS4s came in. And we did we did an unboxing video. It's like me, Greg Miller, and a bunch of other people. And Damon Hatfield, everybody. I was just opening up like 20 PlayStation 4s at the exact same time. It was like, I think it was the world's largest PS4 unboxing video. <laughs> um, I was super excited for it. I still, I still to this day adore that system. Do you I also remember? bought an Xbox One, but... Well, I bought, I, I bought an Xbox I? One first because I ended up in the last generation playing more. I was always a... So I always preferred Sony, Sony exclusives, yeah. but at the time I was playing more my Xbox 360 yeah. as a multi-platform kind yeah. of console. yeah. Uh, and so I thought the Xbox One was going to be sort of the thing I would play more. But obviously, the last generation for me, PlayStation has been much stronger as a as a as a company and as as a company that is giving me good games. Yes, yes. yeah. So sure. I've always been far more of a PlayStation person. It just happened to be that I picked up my Xbox One a couple of months beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I think they've undeniably had better exclusives this generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I think pe top people at Xbox will even say that. If oh you yeah. Want to call oh me yeah. A fanboy, without a doubt. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're saying that too. That so. Sony fanboy, Phil Spencer. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I do want to talk about the launch lineup. Uh, Lucy, you may not have had a PS4 when it, at the launch lineup. Okay. Brian, what do you remember playing? at the launch of the PS4? Um, God, I want to say I played a bunch of Assassin's Creed. Just Black Flag it, was... Yeah. But that's yeah. what I did with the Xbox One. Yeah. That was my, that was my sort of this-gen this first game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, the, I'm going to go quickly through it, but the full list of launch games was Angry Bird Star Wars, Black Flag, Battlefield 4, 
Blacklight Retribution and Beta, uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, Contrast, DC Universe Online, Dive Kick, FIFA 14, Flower for Crossby, Injustice Gods Among Us Ultimate Edition, Just Dance 2014, Killzone Shadowfall, Knack, Lego Marvel Superheroes, Madden NFL, NBA, NBA Live, uh, NBA 2K, Need for Speed Rivals, Playroom, Rezogun, Skylander, Swap Force, Sound Shapes Crossby, Super Motherload, Trine 2, and Warframe. How good was Sound Shapes? Sound Shapes was, was awesome. Amazing. So um, good. I completely no, sh- forgotten about it. Yeah. Shout out to all those cross-buy games at mm. launch because like the idea of like turning my PS4 and immediately having a bunch of games on it because I had purchased them last gen, like Flower and Sound Shapes, yeah. was awesome. Um, I remember playing a lot of Contrast, but now that you mention it, the clear winner in that bunch was Resogun. Nah. No, yes, I, pl- I, yes. No, yeah. I actually Resogun was my favorite. I did play a lot of Knack and I played a lot more Killzone because they were okay. both uh, Killzone was and, and Knack to a varying degree were really great at showing off how powerful the system was. But I yeah. think, but I think that that so often launch titles tend to do that. Yeah, like, yes. and that's yeah. again, that's why I've repeatedly said. Um, you know, I don't want these very prestige PlayStation, uh, uh, you know, next iterations like Horizon Zero Dawn. I don't want to see, I don't want God of War 2 to be a, a, launch, a launch title. title. I don't sure. want Horizon Zero Dawn 2 to be a launch title. Like, yeah. It's right. like they're often just uh, technical uh, showcases yep. for what the system can do. No, there, there's no like definitive killer app in that lineup if you really look back at it. Like I think they they had this like incredibly smart scattershot approach to essentially take like a a little bit from every department and and sort of kitbash it all together. I mean there was a lot of different games there, like really strong third party stuff. Yeah. But there was no there was no like, you know, Bloodborne, God of War, Spider Man, like no. big tri- you know just triple-A first-party exclusive game. There. Yeah, the exclusive showpieces there were, as you said, Knack and Killzone. Yeah. I think on a technical level, that makes sense. One's family-friendly, one is in the shooter genre, which obviously is so key to usually showing off tech. But yeah, for me, like, pound-for-pound pound, Resogun was hands-down the thing I played the most yeah. at launch. It was so much fun. Uh, I'm bummed. Why can't I? Uh, Housemark yep. is not making more games like that. Obviously, I know they're not the biggest sellers, but that, and I believe it's Next Machina, which they released like a year or two ago. Those are two of my favorite uh, smaller games of this generation. Resogun was like quietly the most beautiful technical showcase at launch, too. Like that is a stunning looking game. The like particle effects yep. in that game, the explosions, just everything was gorgeous yep. there. But yeah, what you get with that launch lineup is a lot of cross-gen stuff and a lot of this year's sport game that we need to show and this year's racing game that we need to show. It's, I remember like, it feels like less and less launch lineups have been a thing where like, what is the killer app anymore? And it's just like, ah, people are going to buy this system regardless. Let's just make sure they have games. Yeah. Um, It was, it was interesting too, because I remember a lot of articles going up about like whether or not the, the new gen versions of cross gen or multi-platform games uh, and multi-console games were the best ones. Because like a lot of times they're like, yeah, this looks better, but it has worse this, it has worse that. Because these are developers that have really only been flexing on these new consoles for a couple of months, if if not less. Um, and so I remember that like in that case being sort of like, do I buy Assassin's Creed here? Do I keep it on my PS3? Like, what's my options? Yeah. And ultimately, I went with PS4 because I was like, let's just let's get a launch lineup together. Like, yeah. Let's, let's spend a lot of money and get dumb. But you would. The- you made the right call. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was a stunning game. Um, it, it will be interesting to see, though. I, I expect the launch lineup of the PS5 to have a bit of a very similar lineup in terms of like a lot of whatever's the yearly iterations of certain games, whatever the big Ubisoft games are, probably cross-gen. The big sports games, probably cross-gen. Like I feel like we're going to get a lot of that, but I do hope there are some, even if they are just technical showcases for the PS5. Um, One thing that was interesting in there is the playroom, which is a thing that's just on all of our PS4s that we kind of all ignore. Mm -hmm. That's where... the stocks app on the iPhone. Exactly. But the... the, Not all of us do. Wall Street doesn't. Um, (laughs) That's where the Astrobots kind of like first made their appearance Mm -hmm. and and things that ended up being important later on. So like I would totally prefer if like Sony had a few smaller showcase things in the works than a AAA game they make sure gets out at launch. Like yep. things that show it off would be a lot more fun to have. Um, and I did want to read out, as I mentioned, I reached out to the Facebook group again and asked for some of people's favorite games that they played at launch. Evan said Rezogun, one of the best arcade perfect gameplay experiences at launch. It still holds up. 
Uh, Devlin said Resogun because it was Resogun. Steven said Black Flag, and I don't even like Assassin's Creed as a series, but that one actually piqued my interest. Yair said so much Resogun, I can still hear the lady saying human detected in my dreams. <laughs> um, yes. Connor said Black Flag. Myself and my best friend Skyped each other while playing it through together, and it's still one of my favorite moments this gen. And it has a great open world with so much meaningful stuff to do. And Olaf said, I actually enjoyed Killzone. Uh, I used to game on PC, but didn't game at all between 2008 and 2014 when I bought a Wii U for Mario Kart. Uh, I got a cool PS4 bundle with Knack, Infamous, and Killzone, so this would have been a little after launch. Killzone blew me away with those visuals. I couldn't believe it ran on console. And that is a major thing when a uh, console comes out is, here's what this new thing can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think, think we're stunning. I think we're going to get that a lot um, as we get into the life of the PS5. But uh, thank you for reminiscing with us. We'll take a look back at a lot of stuff on the PS4 as it happened. Um, but before we get to that in future episodes, I did want to get to to wrap up the show. A memory card. Thank you again, Ronnie, for those wonderful jingles. Memory card is, of course, our weekly segment as I try to type and not hit the mic where we talk about uh, your gaming stories, whether they be funny, sad, weird, happy, whatever. Uh, you write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card. We read this on the show every week. Thank you to everyone who's been sending in and continues to send in stories. We'll be trying to read as many as we can on the show as we go. There was one I wanted to read. Let me make sure it's the one I have. Uh, just grabbing the story. Vamp for me, please. Good luck. What? I love memory cards. I love. I'm glad that they don't exist anymore, though. Actually, me too. You know what? Like, it's kind of nice to not have to worry about that. Cloud saves are much better. Yeah, and I frequently remember losing mine. Yeah, my brothers would always like take them and break them and like delete stuff on them, or they would just they would just kill themselves. Yeah, Mad Cats, really oh, one of the most suicidal right. memory cards. Out there. What was the benefit of Mad Cat's memory cards over the like? You would first save party? seven dollars once and then be in pain <laughs> and anguish forever. Jared wrote into Beyond at IGN.com and said, I have two stories, Beyond, but they kind of uh, go together in terms of his family's experience with games. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have married a woman that enjoys watching me play games. She is not a gamer herself, and they usually tend to put her to sleep. Uh, interestingly enough, when I was heavily into Battlefield 3's multiplayer, I would be told to play that game so that the gunfire and explosions would help her sleep. That's what? Whatever. I mean, I usually put on CNN. That's like that scene in My Cousin Vinny where Joe Pesci can only sleep in prison. Yeah. <laughs> It's like screaming loud, and he's like, yeah, this is great. Um, I had never played an entire game with her watching until The Last of Us was released. Each night after we got our kids to sleep, I would start playing, and after the first couple of sessions, I started noticing that she was paying attention to what was happening, and we would talk about it the next day. From then on, I would only play when she was awake. The second that I would hear her snoring, I would save my game and quit playing for the night. I know that she missed a little bit here and there, but to this day, The Last of Us is the only game that I've played through like this with her watching. The final part of the story is when I broke the news to her that they were making part two. This was the first time that she had cheered when I told her about a new game coming out and I look forward to playing through part two and having this experience again. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Jared also wrote in to mention um, my middle and youngest children are both into video games. I wouldn't say they're quite 100% PlayStation fans, but I'm working on it. My youngest loves games like Bendy and the Ink Machine, and he knows more about Minecraft than I do. My daughter loves anything with water and begs me to go swimming in Skyrim and World of Warcraft. My daughter is autistic and is not completely conversationally verbal, but games bring out little bits of imagination in a child that doesn't readily say what she's thinking. Yesterday, uh, he wrote this today, so yesterday as we're recording, I started letting I go Batman 3 for her on my lunch break, and she quickly asked me to make her characters Wonder Woman and Supergirl. I came home that evening to my wife telling me that Kendra had played Batman all afternoon. She would laugh and dance with Wonder Woman flying around. She would introduce. Uh, she would then introduce Supergirl to the Conan O'Brien NPC by saying, "Hello, Brian. I am Supergirl, and this is my little <laughs> sister, Wonder Woman." <laughs> That's awesome. Again, she does not always perfectly communicate what she's thinking or seeing, but I am one of the happiest fathers in the world when she runs in saying, "Daddy, you play Batman with Wonder Woman and Supergirl." Uh, and I just thought both of those stories about how gaming has meant to you uh, so many different you know experiences for both sides that of your family. That is so lovely. It's so yeah, wonderful. Yeah. That, is, that, that brings a tear to my eye. That's yeah. really touching. Uh, and I'm glad you've been able to find those experiences both with your wife and with your kids. Uh, that's beautiful. And thank you so much for writing in. Uh, and I hope your wife can go to sleep just normally some nights too. But um, thank you to everyone else who wrote in. We'll write more as we go. We're unfortunately a little bit pressed for time in the studio today. But we really appreciate it. And please write in to beyond at IGN.com with your memory card uh, stories. You can also write in with any questions you have. Uh, if you have trophy test ideas, we will be doing those again. Don't you worry, Brian. Um, 
write in whatever, and we'll read those comments and questions on the show. But other than that, thank you so much for watching and for listening to this episode beyond episode 616 of our weekly PlayStation show. As I said at the top, my name is Jonathan Dornbush. Thank you so much, Lucy and Brian, for joining me this episode. Uh, when we're not here on the show, we are, of course, at IGN.com and YouTube.com slash IGN and all the places we're on social media. Please go watch and read all the stuff we put out. We work so hard to make all of that stuff happen for you, the audience at home, in addition to the show. So we always appreciate you going to check it out. Um, in particular, I want to shout out Lucy. You on the feature side had one of our wonderful writers, uh, Jordan Serrani. Uh, you guys all put together the every PlayStation first party review ever gallery. It was uh, it a was massive undertaking. So massive that yeah. uh, it broke our um, slideshow, little dealy <laughs> on the site. It broke our image CMS, so we had to like hack um, effects. How, so many, how many games were in it? It was 225. We were originally going to do every PlayStation exclusive game ever, and that was like over a 1,000, and it was just... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. There's too many, so yeah. we, we took it down to 225, but do check it out. Um, it was quite the undertaking, and it's really interesting looking back on, on that, that history. Yes, yeah, and obviously we'll be looking back at a lot of history on the show, so it's a good resource to have as we go back. Um, but when we're not here and we're not on IGN, you can find us on Twitter. Brian is at Agent Bizzle. Lucy is at Luce O'Brien. I am at Jam Dornbush, and as I said earlier, Max is at Max Scoville. I uh, hope you had a good birthday, Max. But anyway, thank you so much for all watching and listening to the show. And as always, beyond. 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.